I have, whether it's this, whether it's one of our prime times on a Wednesday night, or just some random thing that gets us here in the evening, there's at least about a 65% chance when I see you I say good morning. So just roll with it, okay? Just, just kind of let me have that, and we'll go on. Hey, we're so glad that you are joining us, whether it's here in person, whether you're joining us online. We're glad that you're here to celebrate Christmas with us, that you've made us part of your Christmas weekend here at Crossroads. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds with visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. Growing up, I heard that Christmas poem so many times I had it memorized, at least a good chunk of it memorized. I'm sure many of you were the same way. It was just part of childhood and Christmas time. We heard that over and over, but I always thought it was kind of a funny poem, probably because I had a hard time relating to something in the 1980s that was written in the early 1800s. I mean, after all, when we went to bed, my mom did not put on a kerchief. My dad did not own a sleeping cap. Uh, maybe your parents did. Mine didn't. That just wasn't a thing we did in Miami, Oklahoma in the mid-80s, okay? Uh, I, I never uh, went to bed with visions of sugar plums dancing around my head. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what a sugar plum was until I looked it up this week, and I, I saw the pictures. I'm like, that looks disgusting. I wouldn't let that bounce around in my head. It calls for fennel seeds and other things. I'm like, just, just give me, like, a blow pop, you know, and I'll be fine, okay? I don't need sugar plums dancing around in my head. We hung our stockings on the mantle. We didn't really have a fireplace in my house growing up. It was kind of this funky, weird little, you know, fireplace that once upon a time probably used fires. We didn't use it for that. It just kind of stored things. Actually, our nativity scene kind of went in there because it was cut out of the wall, and, and that's where we hung our stockings. No, the night before Christmas for me wasn't anything like that poem. The night before Christmas in the Witten house growing up usually moved us out of our house and into my grandparents' house. We, we kind of shifted a little bit how we did Christmas every year based on my dad's work schedule. He was a police officer, so depending when Christmas and Christmas Eve fell, if it hit his days off, it would depend on when we as a family did our Christmas, whether it was Christmas morning or Christmas Eve night before bed. But we would always go to my grandparents' house, my dad's folks, on Christmas Eve for at least part of the evening. My Mimi and Papa's house, it was in the town just north of us, a couple miles away, actually just a few blocks from where... My wife grew up. But we would go there, and, and, and our routine there was pretty much the same every year. We would usually order several pizzas from Pizza Hut, and we would eat those, and, and we would fight over the, the good spot in front of the fireplace on, on who could be the warmest. Usually my dad or my uncle would win that fight, pushing the rest of us out of the way. And we'd dodge the cigarette smoke hovering in the, the house all night long, and, and eventually open presents while the 24 hours of a Christmas story played on the TV behind us all the time. Then we'd come home, and we would get ready for bed. And we might open a present or two. We might wait for it in the morning. But I don't really ever remember as a kid having trouble going to sleep because I was so excited with, with what Santa was going to bring me the next morning. I don't remember ever staying up trying to sneak a peek at Santa. I remember being excited for what I had just got and, and for what I was going to get the next morning. And to be honest, in my household, I pretty much knew what I was getting. Because my family was one of those, we would go shopping, and I would tell my mom, I want like this for Christmas, and she'd say, okay, we'll buy it. And we would take it home with us, and then I wouldn't get it for like four weeks. A torture for a child when you already know you've got a present, but you, go, you don't get to, and then she'd wrap it. Like, I know what it is, you're wasting paper. 
My wife and her family still do this, and so as a result, I don't tell them what I want. If you knew me and loved me well enough, you would know what I want. I usually get something I don't want. I don't know if that tells me something or not. Maybe I should read between the lines a little bit here. But I wonder, I wonder what that very first Christmas Eve felt like. That very first night before Christmas, what it was like. That you heard Pastor Matt a few minutes ago talk about the angel coming and visiting Mary and Joseph many months earlier. Letting them know that they were going to have a child and that child would be the Messiah that had been promised and been waited for for so long by the nation of Israel. Uh, a few months earlier, as he mentioned, the angel also came to a man named Zechariah, who was the husband of Mary's uh, cousin Elizabeth, and let them know that they would have a child that would eventually be John the Baptist. And what's fascinating is when the angel came and spoke to Zechariah, about six months or so before the angel spoke to Mary, that was the first time God had spoken to any of his people in over 400 years. So the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament spans a little over four centuries of silence from God. If you've ever felt like God's been quiet for you, like you're waiting on God, or he's just been silent, then maybe you can relate just a little bit to what the people of God felt like. It can feel like maybe you're, you're lonely. Maybe it's just quiet. Maybe you're lost and wandering in the dark. Maybe you feel like that. That's how Israel had been now for centuries. I think that, that they wondered maybe if God was even still really out there. They've been conquered and overtaken time and time again. And, and by this point in time, they've been overtaken by the Romans. Rome had come in a few decades earlier and had conquered Jerusalem and conquered Israel. And, and they allowed the Israelites to continue living there. And by and large, the Israelites got to do what they wanted. They got to worship how they wanted. And they got to, to, to go about their daily lives the way they wanted, at least to an extent. So long as it didn't upset the proverbial apple cart of Rome and upset the peace of Rome. But I wonder how many of them, after centuries of silence, had come to a point where maybe they started to believe, you know what, all that stuff our parents told us about God, it's just a myth. How could a God who's so loving be so, so silent for so long? Or maybe some of them still worshipped God and still followed God. And they still believed that he would send them a Messiah. But I wonder how many of them really were expecting what came to be. I think most of them expected their Messiah to be this conquering king that would come riding into town on the white horse, ready to throw Rome out of there. The last thing they expected was a simple baby to be born to two very ordinary, humble, and meager parents from Galilee of all places, and to be born in a, in a stable somewhere in almost complete anonymity. No, God seemed far away. God seemed distant to the people of Israel. He probably seemed indifferent them. And maybe that's where you find yourself this holiday season. Maybe you feel that God is too far away or that God's too indifferent or that he just doesn't care. Maybe for you, Christmas Eve is just another day on the calendar. It's just another weekend to, to, to just get on and, and, and maybe go to a celebration or two, but just to kind of get through the rest of the year and, and roll on into 2023. Maybe your real hope for this weekend isn't what you might get under the tree or, or what you might experience with family. Maybe your real true hope this weekend is that you can walk from your car into the store without getting hypothermia. Maybe that's you this weekend. Maybe it's a little more serious than that. Maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one. And you're feeling the hurt. You're feeling the loneliness. Maybe you're in a period of life right now where you're just feeling lost. 
feeling aimless, like you're just drifting without any kind of, anything steering you in a particular direction. Maybe you're curious about this God that we talk about. You're here with family, or you're visiting, or you're watching online, and you're just curious, like, well, who is this God? Is he even real? And if he's real, does he even care about a person like me? And, and even if he cares, could he possibly love somebody like me with all that I've done? If that's you, can I just remind you of this one thing? Christmas, it's the time that we remember one truth, that God came to us. That God came to become one of us so that we could get to know him a little bit better. So we could trust him more. He became like one of us. When the angel visited Joseph, just a few days after he visited Mary, he told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 that Mary would give birth to a son and that you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And it goes on to say that this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give us a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that for just a moment here. Emmanuel, God with us. Just think for a second about how powerful and how ridiculous that sounds. That on that very first Christmas, of all the things God could have done for us, he gave us the present of presence. He gave us the present of being with us. That's the ultimate gift a parent can get a child. I can get my kids all sorts of gifts. Okay, hang on. Let me be fair. My wife can get my kids all sorts of gifts. I'll just be honest. She does 95% of the shopping in, in our house. And the 5% I do are her presents that she gets to unwrap. That's typically the way it works every year. I'm not going to try to take credit for her work. I just want to say that before we go any further here. But I can get my kids all sorts of gifts, toys, electronics, clothes, uh, different things that they want. They're all wonderful things, but these are all things that will eventually, one day, all wear out, have to be thrown away and replaced. That's just the way typically Christmas is. The one thing that can't be replaced, however, is my time with them. The amount of my personal time that I give them, whether that's taking away from, from the office or taking away from a project or just taking away from something I personally want to do and giving that to them, that's the one gift that can't be taken away from them after the fact. Now, to be fair, I'm sure my kids wouldn't think that's a great gift. Like if I told my 10-year-old, you know, I know you really want that VR video game this year, but instead I got you something even better. You get to hang out with me. Like, I could just picture the look on her face. Like, really, Dad? That's the cool gift you're getting me this year? Yeah! It's me! She's not buying it. Maybe later, one of these days, she would. But 10-year-old Elsie wouldn't quite pick up on that. See, presence isn't so much a gift that you package and give to somebody. It's a mentality. It's a mindset where you put... In intentional actions and intentional lifestyles into investing your time with people, those you care about, those that mean something to you. For me, that's my wife and my kids. And for my kids, that doesn't mean I'm just present at events. We've had a lot of events the last few weeks. We've had Christmas choir concerts and, and Christmas stuff at their school and orchestra concerts and all of these Christmas parties at the school. It's not just those events. It's being there day by day Week by week, just letting them be with me and not bringing anything else with me. 
Not being on my phone, not worrying about an email that I forgot to send, not worrying about a meeting that I have coming up tomorrow, not worrying about what sermon I'm going to preach the next Sunday. It's just being with them. Making yourself available to your children lets them know just how important they are to you. That's what God did for us on that first Christmas. He gave us the gift of presence. John chapter 1, the the Apostle John gives us this great description of the creation of the world through Jesus. And he uses this amazing Greek word called logos, which our English Bibles translate as word, the word. And logos is this idea that, that is the very essence of the universe, the very essence of all creation. And so with that in mind, John, talking about how the world was created through God, created through Jesus, says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to earth to become one of us to be with us. He he came so that we could relate to him, so that we could learn to trust him more, so that we could get to know him better. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion and faith system in the world. Every other system of faith out there is all about what you can do and what you can accomplish to get yourself closer to God. Almost like you're climbing a ladder so you can get to heaven. But Christianity is about a God who came down that ladder to be one of us. To become one of us who humbled himself to become human. The incarnation. It's not about how you can earn your way to God. The incarnation is all about the God of all creation, the Lord of all heaven and earth, stepping out of heaven and putting on human flesh, humbling himself, putting on all of our human limitations, all of our emotions that we could experience so that we would come to him. That is what Christmas is all about. About the God who wanted to spend time with us so much that he became one of us. And in doing so, gave us access to him that we can't get any other way. And think about what that access does. That gift of Christ to us, what it does for us. It gives us access that we can't get anywhere else. It allows us to bring our questions to God. Maybe you're sitting in here tonight and you've got questions about God. Who is he? Why is he so important? Why does he matter? Is he really there? Does he really care? Does he really love me? How can he allow things to happen in my life? You can take those questions to him. He can handle them. He invites them. He invites you to reach out to him and ask. We can bring our emergencies and our tragedies to him. You think about a a time in your life when everything is crashing down. You can go to God with that. You can bring your struggles to him. I I can tell you, man, I've done that time and time again. I just can't figure things out on my own, which is pretty often. I can bring those struggles to him. And maybe he doesn't help me right then and there in that moment, but he's with me and he hears me. Maybe we can just simply trust him to save our lives and to become the Lord of our life. After all, Christmas isn't anything without Easter on the other end of it. And even though it's a few months away, we'll talk about it more as the spring gets here. They're bookends. The birth and the death of Jesus. Because in those two moments, God came to us and God died for us. Him coming to become one of us, to reach us, to save us, to love us, 
is what Christmas is truly all about. It's about the moment that the light came into the darkness. On the night before Christmas when eternity invaded earth. In John chapter 1, again, he's talking about how everything was created through Jesus. How everything that came to be, came to be through Jesus. He says these words, In him was life, and that life was the light to all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here in a few moments, we're going to dim the lights in the room. And we're going to light candles. And what I love about doing this is just a simple vision. That no matter how dark something might be, just a simple speck of light makes the darkness go away. Darkness has no answer for life. Darkness cannot defeat life. The only way darkness wins is when the light goes out. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Our, our candles that we're going to light will symbolize that. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his followers that you are the light of the world. This is a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lighting candles at Christmas is symbolic, and for many of you it's traditional. I didn't grow up with this in my own church when I was a kid, but the church I was at, that Jennifer and I call our home-based church back in Oklahoma, this is something that they do on Christmas. And yes, we'll light them. And I want you to understand this isn't just simply a one-off symbol. Uh, sure, we're going to put the candles back in the box and we probably won't get them back out until next year. But it's a symbol of what we're called to do with this church. That we are called to, to, to spread His life. To bring Jesus to the world so we can bring the world to Jesus. And in our immediate context, to bring Jesus into this Kansas City metro area, whatever town you call home, so we can bring this area to Jesus. As a church, our focus for this upcoming year should be to bring Jesus and his light to everyone that we can. If you're a member and a regular attender here at Crossroads, I want to challenge you and encourage you that for 2023, you shine your light every day. And not only do you shine it, but as we're going to do here in a few moments, you pass the light on to somebody else and let it spread. If you're not a member of our church here and you don't have any church that you call home, I'd like to invite you to come join us. So there's nothing special about us here. We don't have it all figured out. We're just a group of people who day by day are trying to become a little bit more like Jesus. Trying to become a little bit more like Him. Who humbled Himself and stepped out of heaven and came down here to us. And we're simply trying to shine his light everywhere that we go. In John 8, Jesus spoke to his people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we wrap up this evening, to, to kind of give a, uh, tie a bow on this, so to speak, we're going to invite you to stand and sing this prayer with us. The light of the world that stepped down from heaven to us that we will worship. Would you say
want to invite you to hold on to your communion for just a moment. The light of the world descended into darkness. Kurt preached on that a little bit ago. He mentioned that passage, and I want to revisit that briefly. Um, it comes from John 1, 4 through 5. Pardon me. It says this. In him was life. And that light and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we're gathered here together, celebrating the life of Christ come down to earth. And this is what communion is all about. What we reflect and identify with meditate on the cross and he came down and he died and he shed his blood and his body for you and me on our behalf something you and I could never do so that we can have new life with God so that we can have the right relationship with God so as a family unit or with those around you that you love I invite you to take communion and as you do so reflect on the words of this passage.
Jesus, thank you for coming for your people. God, we love you. Bless the rest of this Christmas. In your name I pray. Amen.